Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello and welcome to the Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90min podcast network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by Rob Blanchett, United football, United season ticket holder. Sorry, I just messed my words up. And football journalist as well. Got them a bit muddled. Uh, Rob, how are you doing today? You're right. Not too bad, Scott. How are you, mate? I'm okay. Thank you very much. Just having enough of the circus that is Manchester United, obviously. We'll touch on a bunch of things today, but just a reminder, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., etc., And you can now watch us twice a week on YouTube as well, Tuesdays and Fridays. Head over to our brand new YouTube channel, hit the like button, subscribe, join the community, turn on that notification bell so you know when we're dropping a video. Um, and the link should be in the description of this episode. And just another reminder, you can find us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promised Land MU. Now, United are between two games. Um, it seems like, well, Saturday was a 1-1 draw against Southampton, which we're kind of used to now. I'm predicting a 1-1 draw in the Brighton game on Tuesday night. We're recording ahead of that. Uh, but we'll dig in today on some of the deeper issues, I guess, around United at the moment. I mean, there were some interesting comments from Ralph Hasenhuttle, um after the game. There were some pretty poor performances against Southampton as well. There's a bunch of players who aren't at United anymore who might be suggesting that they can find a new lease of life if they leave Old Trafford. And we'll look at potential players who could leave and what it means for them and that kind of thing. And we'll also dig in today to some comments from Gary Neville, (laughs) which I'm sure you know about already, but we'll, we'll give our take on him knowing who's behind the leaks. And We'll also do a bit of Eric Ten Hag talk as well. So, Rob, you were at the Southampton game on uh, Saturday. Did a nice little YouTube short for us. So keep an eye out for those as well. Um, same old, same old, wasn't it? Same old, same old. And now I think as I called it after the game, it's Groundhog Day, obviously, uh, in reference to Groundhog Day last week in America. So uh, it's just... The same issues, the same performances, the same upside and the same downside. You know, it's not like this is a fluctuation for Manchester United. We're kind of seeing the same stuff over and over again. Um, 
And I think it all comes down really to personality as opposed to tactics. You know, we talk a lot about tactics. I know I certainly do in my job about Manchester United and how they can set up and what they can do. And is there any kind of nuance of how to change things? Well, no, just run a little bit more, just have a bit more control, just be in the moment a little bit more. And I think the Manchester United team, you see that every week that they have these personality crises in games all the time. They start off well, they flow, they look really good. You feel really good about them. Like at half time, I stood there kind of going, this is all right. You know, they're in control. They're one nil up, you know, go and kill the game in the second half. What do you get in the second half? The same thing where they kind of lose it for a moment and then can never recover it. So I, I just think for Ralph and for for the coaches at Man United, it must be really, really difficult to translate their ideas across when the things that they're seeing are that are problematic are not tactical. Yeah, it's kind of weird, actually, because I've, over the last few weeks, I've put out nice tweets in the first half about United saying, oh, look, I can see different signs of... Uh... You know, signs of improvement and signs of these players taking on instructions and that kind of thing. And you just just end up with egg on your face in the end because in the last two games against Southampton and Burnley, United have conceded within two minutes of the second half starting and they just don't seem to know how to react to it. Do you think it's, do you actually think it's a running thing, Rob? Because sometimes I look at, you know, we can criticize them for not really trying, but at the same time, I do kind of see them running out of steam after about 60, 70 minutes. Which one do you think it is? The, the running stats don't support that Manchester United don't run. So when you actually look at the kind of wider metrics, Manchester United are doing the work. The problem is when to do the work. So no team can run non-stop for 90 minutes. What you have to do is set your traps. And this is what the whole art of game pressing is, is to be able to get the ball in the right areas and go quickly. So the Man United goal was like perfect Ralph Ranick football. Yeah, you get the ball two passes, the ball's in the back of the net within six seconds. So that is kind of the, the whole philosophy of Ralph Ranić. So United can do it. The issue is not whether they're running. It's as you just said, it's because they run out of steam. So I think Ralph said after the game, and I think it was really pertinent that he said this, he said, you know, he said he doesn't believe that it's a running issue, but he can totally understand why fans and journalists believe it's a running issue. So he said, you know, in, in training, they're doing the correct things and, there's nothing in the kind of sports science data that's saying that they can't run, blah, 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 blah. But do you know what? When you look at the goal and you look at the goal that Southampton scored, two or three Man United players just stopped running. And it was, what, two, three, four minutes mm-hmm. into the second half? So it's not like, oh, I've been running and I'm really tired. You've just been sat on your backside for 15 minutes in the dressing room. So I don't think it's it's per se a running thing. I think it's more up here. And again, I said it in the last show, I'm pointing to my brain here for those who, who are just uh, listening to us on the podcast, because it's a, it, you have to think, you have to be able to do the work and mentally get through the gears. And that's what this problem is with Man United, is that these players don't particularly go through all the commitment side that they need to do. It's a nice little segue into a, a particular comment from the opposing manager, Ralph Hasenhuttle, after that game, which went round pretty much everywhere because it was nail on the head and it's it's so damning to hear an opposition manager to say this about a group of players on the opposing team so the big line was it's not a big secret that when they lose the ball talking about Man United the reverse gears are not the best from everyone and we did see that as part of the you know as part of the Southampton equaliser and probably in the second half Southampton created other opportunities there was one for Stuart Armstrong as well I think 
Uh, and it just seemed like, you know, fans can actually see it. And it's just, it's one thing for a fan to say it, but it's another thing completely for a, like a professional, like a manager who's quite respected to go and say that. Yeah, like sometimes when things happen on a football pitch and fans react to it, as journalists, we we sometimes debunk. So we'll say, yeah, fans felt this, but this is kind of how we saw it and maybe give a more technical overview to it. For Ralph Hasenhutl to say what he said after the game about knowing that everybody knows, because that was a kind of generalisation he was making, that everyone knows that Manchester United as a team don't really track back that well. That's really damning. Like if you're a team or a top football club that's trying to aspire to be like Manchester City, aspire to be like Liverpool, to chase those clubs right at the very top. But your reputation is that you don't do that. What does that say about you as a team? So on one hand, you know, if I was a Man United player, I'd be highly embarrassed by that comment. But on the other hand, I'd want to kind of prove myself. But I think the big thing, Scott, especially you saw in the Brighton game, is just Manchester United's lack of control. So in those moments of when you're when you concede a goal, Go out there and turn the game around. Don't just become a wild animal out on the football pitch because that's what Man United were doing. Lots of kind of, you know, it just became a crazy endeavour. Do you know what I mean? Rather than it being a football match and United putting together the stuff they'd done in the first half, they just became almost feral on a football pitch. <laughs> and you even saw it towards the end of the game. You just, you just referenced there with Southampton. You know, some of Harry Maguire's defending towards the end of the football match was highly concerning. But it's how these guys work together in terms of their chemistry. And it just doesn't seem to be there consistently. That's why I'm saying I don't know how Hasenhutl, oh, sorry, Ranić, fixes that in the short term because it's up to these guys to accept that they've got to do certain things on a football pitch. Do you think it's down... It's, obviously, Ranić's probably got a bit of a problem in himself that he's only contracted for the until the end of the season. So is it difficult to get players to believe in you when... You're only there. It's like a substitute teacher comparison, isn't it? I think it's almost impossible. So, you know, I've said this about before when we talk about interims as a concept. I think at some football clubs, interims do work. I don't think interims work if you're a Champions League chasing team. So if you're Manchester United, an interim is a tough gig because you've got all these highly paid footballers who've got big egos and you've got to find a way into their psyche to make them do that little bit more. Now, I think we've seen with this Man United team since Randy's taken over, tactically, they have improved. There's no doubt about it. The results themselves haven't been disastrous. It's just that you see these little habits pop up in games. So like you just said there, Scott, you tweet out in the first half that that was really good. And then there's egg on your face in the second half because that's a habit. That's a United, these United players showing that they can do it and they're not doing it. And what are the reasons for that? It's got to come down to them, doesn't it? So you see Ralph on the in the technical area and you see how glum he looks sometimes in games because he's given the instructions. These boys have got a platform to go and win a football match. They're having the chances. What was it? 52 chances in two games previously. In the last game, still another kind of like 17, 18 chances. May United have got the opportunities to go and win football matches. They're not winning them because of themselves. So I think a lot of these players need to have a long, hard look in the mirror. Does that come across in the stadium then? Because obviously you were at the Southampton game and visible, um, or you could actually hear the boos, right? It, at yeah. Both half-time and full-time, am I right? The, it, the, it, crowd, the crowd seem disappointed and let down. Is that right? 
Yeah, if, if if the guys who are obviously watching us now, if you go and look at my YouTube short on our channel here, which I took immediately in the final whistle, and you can hear the kind of discord behind me because I was in the stadium, and you can hear the boos. And it was probably the loudest boo for a draw. Like, let's let's take this. We're not losing a football match. It was a draw than I, that I'd heard all season long. You know, some real audible boos. And the reason is, Scott, it's because of the players. So the players were walking around at that point when I was taking the YouTube short, when I was filming. And uh, and you can hear the fans telling them where to go. So that's where I think there's a kind of little bit of a, of a kind of fractured relationship now between the fans and the players. But it's up to the players to go and fix it. You know, I watched the Wayne Rooney documentary yesterday. And one of the things that Wayne said about when he had problems at Man United, and I was in those stadiums for all of those games, was that he thought, right, I'm going to go out there and try and, you know, mend that relationship with my performances. I'm going to go out there and show that I'll do anything for May Night Twin, he even said, I would even go out and cheat for my yeah. football club. So that was quite telling because when I was watching that documentary yesterday, I was thinking, hmm, how many May United players would do that now? I don't think we have many at all. You know, I think there's a few of them that have got real commitment issues. And you can see it like, you know, you just said with the goal, you know, and I'm going to bring his name up because I think it's right to bring it up at this stage. Marcus Rashford, there is something going on in his game. Now, I can't put my finger on it, but Marcus Rashford in that moment, uh, he, he was running from us, from where I sit on the halfway line at Old Trafford, and he got past the halfway line back towards Man United's goal, and he actively stopped. And I can remember a load of people shouting at him, going, like, run, Marcus. And he didn't. He just stood still. And then two seconds later, the ball was in the net. If he'd gone back and done his job and plugged that channel, he'd have helped Pogba in that moment. He'd have helped McTominay. And, of course, those two central midfielders got the blame for the goal. I thought it was Rashford's fault. So I think Marcus needs to stand up because it's great that Marcus is a, is a kind of figurehead for Manchester United. I think he does incredible work off the pitch. I think he's a great lad. I think he's done so much, you know, for the country, you know, as a footballer, you know, it's incredible that we talk about a player having to do those things as he has done. But now he needs to dial his game in, you know, and his game isn't there. And for whatever reason that is, he's got to make those key decisions in football matches to actually do that extra bit of work. Great pass for the goal, fantastic breakaway. That's what Marcus Rashford is good at. But he also used to be really good at tracking back and looking after the fullback and looking after the channel. I can't believe for one second that Ranić was just saying to him, no, just stop on the halfway line so we can counter-attack. I just do not believe that. Yeah, In that but... moment, the danger was Southampton breaking with an overload on that left-hand side. And Marcus decided up here again, pointing to my brain, that he wasn't going to do it. And then afterwards, when the ball went in the net, he kind of threw his arms up and was like, oh. And there's also been lots of media coverage of Pogba in that moment was saying to Marcus, like waving him back, saying, come and help. And he didn't come and help. So that's up to Marcus Rashford, and he needs to sort that out. Just wanted to address the, the question I would have been to you to counterpoint it was, is it an instruction to kind of launch a counterattack? But obviously it didn't. It was never going to happen anyway. But United did um, actually loft a few long balls towards the end, didn't they? Because it was just, it was quite aimless in a sense. But, you know, I was, you've pretty much dismissed it there. I don't think it was either. I just wanted to be devil's advocate there and say, do you think it was an instruction? Do you know why I don't think it's an instruction? Is because I'll compare it to the other player on the other side of the football pitch. Jaden Sancho was not standing on the halfway line just waiting for the ball. Jaden Sancho was working backwards and forwards. So you could see that, you know, sometimes you do get those um, like uh, asymmetric tactics where you might want to take advantage of a, a lack of pace on one side of the pitch. So you leave someone higher up 
and there is that in it. But in that moment, the danger two or three minutes into the second half was the other way. You know, you had to go and get the ball again and reset. And Marcus wasn't doing that. Whereas Jaden, I think was, I think Jaden had a really good game on the other side of the pitch and they swapped every now and then. So you could kind of see the, the positional tactics there at play. Um, I just think with Marcus, he needs to do a lot more. Like we talk about players at a risk of not being part of the future Man United plan. Um, if Marcus can't sort these things out in the next four months, his place is at risk in the same way that Anthony Martial's place was at risk from being the number one starting striker two years ago to now being out of the football club. Marcus needs to do more and it's not just good enough being Marcus Rashford. Yeah, we'll talk about uh, Anthony Martial briefly in a little bit, but I did want to talk about Harry Maguire as well. Uh, he's not having the best time at the moment. Uh, Ralph Rannick, uh, ahead of the game with Brighton, has been speaking about Maguire's performances and essentially backed him. He's he's pretty much said that it's not in the plans to strip him of the captaincy, which does seem to be weighing on him a little bit. Um, and he's also commented that it, saying that Maguire is used to playing in a back three for England, so he's more protected. And when he's played at United, it's been in a back four that has been kind of set up really to counterattack under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And Ollie's actually received some <laughs> flack from Raniak as well in the lead up to the Brighton game. So Maguire at the moment, you know, he got absolutely torn up by Broger uh, a, a, a number of times against Southampton. And it just seems to me like we, we did this section in the last show. I remember this picture that's popped up on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. But, you know, it just doesn't sit. Nothing's right with Harry Maguire at the moment. Does he need to be dropped completely? I think if you had viable alternatives, then yes. So, you know, we need to look at Victor Lindelof's fitness and see how that goes. Because I think he's the obvious choice to take over in terms of the tactical elements of what you do from centre-back. I think the issue for Harry Maguire is that he's a confidence player. So I think when he's when his confidence is high, you get better performances. Now, that could be a generalisation for all footballers. But I think it's very pertinent for Harry. But I think the other issue for Maguire, and you saw it right at the end of that match against Southampton, and it was scary because, again, it was right in front of us, was just how slow he is. He is so slow. And the problem is, is that it doesn't matter what, how much player development you do or work on it. Like Again, Ralph talked about psychologists after the game and how he employed psychology to kind of try and fix some of these things. How can you psychologically get quicker? You can't. So I, I think that there's a little bit of an end game here for Maguire because he's been at the football club a little while now. He had this world record transfer fee and you've got to keep proving it. You know, if you're an 80 million pound footballer, you can't have off months. And this is what Maguire is having. So it's a big decision for United, I think, next off season about what they do because you've gone and bought this generational centre-back in Rafael Varane. You can't give Varane a slow partner next to him and expect Varane to be the best player that he can be. So United have got that to choose now. And I think this is where, you know, whoever the next manager is, and we'll have a little chat about that towards the back end of the show, that manager is going to have to decide whether Harry Maguire at £80 million is worth it or whether you cut your losses, you might even take just 30 or 40 for him and put that towards another player. If you went and got a £40 million centre-back, Scott, that can run, that's going to help Varane more than having an £80 million centre-back that can't. Pretty damning for Harry Maguire at the moment. I'm using the word damning a lot today because it just there's so many issues at United at the moment. We talked about 
Marcus Rashford, we talked about Harry Maguire, we talked about a number of different players and the attitude in general, but just wanted to transition on a little bit to something that I tweeted the other day uh, about just, just an indication of what might happen if a player manages to escape the rot at Old Trafford, because uh, two players put in man-of-the-match performances for their new clubs the other day, although I will caveat this with, don't like, not, not to throw slight too much at Leeds, but you know they they they're not exactly the best team uh, to measure against because even even United have put eleven goals past Leeds at Old Trafford in the in the past two home games. So it's it's a difficult one. But Donny Van der Beek and Anthony Martial with man and match performances for Everton and Sevilla, uh, you know, respectively. And I think back to last season as well, where Jesse Lingard went out on loan to West Ham and looked a completely different player. Is it? Rob, I wanted to ask you this. Is it a case of escaping the rot and escaping the mess and then you refine yourself and that's how you flourish? Is it is it beyond United completely to kind of get these performances out of these players? Because you look at some of these players on the bench and they are much better than what they're showing, you know, and they, they're proven that at other clubs. Is it a case of they just need to leave and start again? And do United need to sell before they bring in new players? Yeah, sometimes. Like, again, I've said previously, you know, I think when players leave football clubs and they go and do well, that there are reasons for that, you know, whether it be the structure of the football club, what the football club's asking them to do while they're there in training and within the tactics and just having a fresh impetus. So Jesse Lingard is the perfect example. Jesse Lingard, when, when he exited Manchester United on that loan spell going to West Ham United, nobody thought he'd get anywhere near the England squad again. Nobody thought he'd even score a goal for West Ham. Nobody thought he'd prove anything to Man United fans. United fans wanted him gone. And even when he was brilliant for West Ham and putting in these kind of like best Premier League player week after week after week, month after month, you know, he was at that standard. Still, United fans were like, mm, not so sure. But West Ham fans were very, very happy. And so was Jesse. So I, I think that a fresh start is sometimes a good thing because you just have a fresh outlook. You know, it's a new opportunity. The stagnation of being at that football club and the stigma it, it is removed. So you look at Donny van der Beek. Donny had a very, very good first game for Everton. Again, not surprised at all. What was different for him? Well, he's playing in a 4-4-2 and he was playing next to Allen. And I think the difference with that is that he's got a defensive midfielder that can travel and that can work and do that stuff behind him allowing him to be more of the number eight, the six to eight function, you know, doing it more fluidly. Whereas at Man United, that's not the case, is it? You know, I think when you look at last season, United played double pivot a lot, 4-2-3-1, and you were saying to, to Donny van der Beek, come and get the ball off the centre-back. It's not really what he's good at. He can do it, but he wants to be involved in the more core midfield central position. So I'm not surprised that he had a good game, but I think you also have to wait and see because... You know, Everton have been really poor themselves, but they've got a new manager. And I think that Frank Lampard is a really, really good coach for Donny van der Beek. Um, can Donny come back to Man United? Well, yes, of course. You know, if he does well and proves that he's a Premier League entity, then, you know, if you get a coach maybe like Ten Hag next season, who knows Donny van der Beek very, very well, then there's that opportunity. What I said last week on our show still stands. I'm not sure whether Donny van der Beek is good enough for Manchester United. He might be good enough for Everton. He, he, I'm not quite sure whether he can do it at Man United, but I think that that sticks for quite a few Manchester United footballers at the moment, not just Donny van der Beek. 
Absolutely. A lot will depend on who the manager is and the decisions the club make about which players stay, which players leave and all that kind of stuff. There's a, there's a lot of decisions to be made over the next few months, including ones on Lingard, Paul Pogba, although United were probably wanting to stay. If they finish sixth or seventh, can you really see Paul Pogba stay? And if he can get Champions League football elsewhere, you'll see. But it really depends as well on the manager that comes in. And we'll talk about Eric Ten Hag, uh, as you mentioned just there. It depends on which manager comes in and what players they sign, because, you know, they might have different styles, different preferences. But just before we do talk about Ten Hag, I would like to talk about the Gary Neville comments. Now, these have travelled as well. So it just seems like it's negativity all over the shop for United at the moment. But Gary Neville has pretty much attacked the United players and said, obviously, he used the word disgusting with some of the leaks that have come out. But this has been a long-standing issue of... You even think think back towards the fact that you get the lineup leaked before the game on a consistent basis, probably every game. Somebody puts the lineup out before it's made official. I don't know where that leak comes from, but Gary's looking at the players specifically and the leaks about the, which we talked about the other day, the Chris Armas, Ted Lasso comment and that kind of, I think that's what he was addressing, but the leaks shouldn't happen at all. And I think if Gary Neville, Gary Neville's basically tried to get a reaction out of these players to try and stop this happening because the standards are on the floor at the moment. But do you, what's your, what's your thoughts on the, on the Neville comments, Rob? Because they're not, you know, do you believe in fully? I'll put it that way. Um, I think that, especially with a lot of the things that are perpetually coming out of Manchester United, and results being bad and us obviously making content here about why these players are not doing what they're doing. It's easy to start pinning these things on players. Um, what I will say is this is a Manchester United themselves as a PR machine are quite adept at informing certain members of the press about what's going on at the football club, leaking their own information to the press. So I think that the, it's too easy to kind of go that route. What I will say is I think the Ted Lasso, uh, comment is made up. I think that's made up by uh, a headline writer. And I think that that then traveled off the back of that. Ra- uh, Ralph got asked about it in his press conference, which I thought was highly embarrassing. But to, to address what Gary's saying, you know, he said that this never happened during his day. Well, that's just wrong. You know, it did happen. The Manchester United dressing room was a much tighter unit, obviously under Fergie when you're winning trophies. And that's a natural thing to happen. So take, for instance, Liverpool and City now. They're, they're winning, so it's a tighter environment. You don't get as many kind of sensationalist stories coming out of the dressing room. But you did see with Liverpool last year that when Wijnaldum wanted to leave the football club, there was plenty of leaks coming out of Liverpool. So this happens at all football clubs, and that's why Manchester United are not really unique in that way. Uh, I, and I don't think that there are United players sat there on their phones in the dressing room, you know, just getting hold of their tabloid mates saying this is happening, that is happening. I think there are talks, but I do think that that happens everywhere. So I think it's unfair to just point fingers and then say that's the reason. I think these guys need to sort it out. Get to the training ground and find methods to win football matches. You know, and, and then all of this hot air stops a little bit, Scott. Do you know what I mean? And like the Ted Lasso thing, I think it was just like crazy. <laughs> I, I, it might have been a throwaway comment from a player to a journalist saying, oh, yeah, you know, we've got an Americans a bit Ted Lasso this, you know, and then it becomes a huge story. But the best way to stop these stories is going and winning football matches. 
Which manager would be best then, Rob? Let's let's talk about uh, Eric Ten Hag. Now, there's a story coming out over the over the weekend, I think it was, um, about Ralph Ranick's preference now being well. It's always been Ten Hag, apparently, but Richard Arnold, um, who is you know the guy in the hot seat at the moment and will be for the foreseeable future. Maybe he seems to have had his head turned a little bit by Ralph's preference and looks to have. I can't verify this. We have we can't verify this at all, but this is the speculation that Richard Arnold prefers Eric Ten Hag as the next manager of Manchester United. Now, Ten Hag might well end up leaving Lazio at the end of the season. I think he's contracted for another 18 months, but it does seem like it could be coming to an end. He's been waiting for a job probably like this. But you and I, Rob, have spoken over the last few weeks about the potential reservations that we have over Ten Hag, given the jump from a well-run club like Ajax with an academy, an identity, the identity being instilled in players from very, very young ages and then that being carried through to the first team. United don't have an identity. <laughs> so it's a very, it's going to be a very difficult thing to come in and ask somebody like Ten Hag to instill and imprint his own identity on this team when managers more experienced than him, managers who've succeeded a lot more than him have completely failed at it in the past as well. So, you know, it's it's a lovely idea. They play great football. It's a lovely idea. But uh, I, I've just got that little feeling that I don't think this is the right way to go. I, I think there's a, some major doubts around it. You know, as I said, I'll keep saying it. You know, there's nothing wrong with Ten Hag as a coach. He's a very, very good coach. He's proven what he can do at that level in the area divisie you know he's come through that system he's background from Bayern Munich and obviously into Ajax he's got great grounding but I can't understate how difficult our football club is it's a completely different animal to manage and you need someone I think who's got that kind of multifaceted approach to management to be able to do it. So again, I think you look at Klopp and you look at Guardiola and I think they handle it really well, the whole side of being managers in the Premier League, but also being coaches. You know, can Ten Hag do that? Uh, I think what we're hearing as well now is that Manchester United and Richard Arnold are, are really keen to expand their, their, the heads around the director of football ship. So they're looking to bring in more consultants, more people. Now that might sound top heavy, and I think it might well be. But what it tells me is that the board are seeking out football opinion. And there seems to be a kind of a common narrative now that, that Ranić's choice is going to be Ten Hag. And that Ranić is going to have a much bigger say in it than maybe we thought a few months ago. So Ranić's been the guy, I think, who's been given the task of doing the root and branch of going into Manchester United and finding out what's wrong. Because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer seemed to have a grip of all of those things last season and within months he's gone and you're having to start again. Ranić's going to be the guy I think given the task of finding the solution. So if he thinks the solution is Ten Hag, I think that United take on a much longer project. You know, it's kind of going to be two or three years. They'll give him time. He will lose football matches, Scott. It will look awful. <laughs> like I, I've said this before, when Ranić got the job as interim, I said, this is not going to get pretty quickly. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough love. It's going to take time to become a winning team again, or at least in how the way Man United fans envisage their own football club. So I think with, with Ten Hag, you do that. If you choose that, then that's the choice. You know, if you went and got a Conte or someone like that, say Conte comes to the market, there's Conte's a guy who can win in year one. 
I don't think that Ten Hag is that guy. It just depends whether Man United are desperate to win immediately, which they always tend to be, or whether you're looking at a much more longer-term project with a much bigger investment in terms of pounds. Yeah, exactly. There's going to have to be a lot of squad turnover. Uh, you know, it's quite obvious that Ranić, well, he's made this clear that he looks for players on their first or second contracts. So United are going to have to, they've got a lot of players in there who are on a lot of money who have been brought there because of what they've done previously in their careers. And this is like, they're supposed to be the pinnacle of their careers, but it's obviously not working out that way. Um, if they do go with Ten Hag, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm completely against it because I think in the, in the grand scheme of things, if they're to put the time in and get everything right, then I think it could really work. But I'm just looking at it and I'm thinking it's a different thing. If you, if, if, if Pep leaves Man City in the next 18 months and then City go with Ten Hag, he's taken over a steady ship and he can kind of imprint his, his personality on that team who work really hard as it is um, under Pep. It's a completely different kettle of fish at United, but there's not too many options uh, at the moment. Obviously, Pochettino and uh, Eric Ten Hag are the two that have been talked up. It does seem as though Ten Hag might have taken advantage in the race at the moment, but you know, I'm sure the Pochettino rumours will swirl back around. We talked about Diego Simeone in the last few weeks. United play Atletico Madrid next week um, in the first leg of the Champions League last 16. But it's not a simple decision, is it? No, it's a it's a complex decision. Like you just mentioned there about, you know, potentially Ten Hag going to Manchester City. You know, the, the big differences between City and United and Liverpool and United is that they have built behind the scenes this football structure that promotes winning, that promotes good recruitment. Manchester United have promoted losing and signing players that can't help you. So let's just throw a name up straight away. You can, you can ban loads of them about Fred for £52 million, bad signing. Not because Fred's a bad player, but because at £52 million, you could probably go and get something different that helps you more, can't you, Scott? So like, I, I think this is the whole point now, is that whichever coach comes in is going to have to work hand in hand with the director of football and find ways of rebuilding that are not atypical of Manchester United. United have just done it this way now for 10 years and really got nowhere. And so I, I think that there is this kind of shift of going from a Van Gaal and a Mourinho serial winners to someone like Solskjaer, club legend. That didn't work. You've now gone to a Ranić, someone who's really known for building football clubs, an acute coaching mind. I, I know um, Paul Scholes kind of didn't attack Ralph Ranić. We kind of went, oh, you know, is he qualified to do the job? Well, Paul, yes, he is. You know, much more qualified. Such a lazy take, isn't it? I, it's I, a I've lazy take. It's yeah. a lazy take. And we see this from pundits a lot on television. It's a lazy take. You don't win a football match. You blame the manager and you look back at his last 10 years. It's it's ridiculous. So Ralph Rennick is qualified to do the job. And I would still stick with Ralph as manager next year. I've said this all along. I'm not changing that, that tone from myself. But I do think that if you go with a Ten Hag, you're, you're treading ground that you've not tre- you've, you've not been on before and United need to understand that and the fans need to understand that because that romantic romance period can end like in a flick of a switch. You know, he'll come in, first six games, the football's awful, people want him out. People are then talking about Pochettino, then people then talk about Ranić, come back. So all of these things are, are will be valid at the time. But I think it's a tough thing. United are now going out and about and talking. We know that they've had contact with Ajax, and with PSG, obviously, previously, and that they will be looking at their targets because they've got to make moves very, very soon now. You're in that that period where the end of the season is coming thick and fast. I do not believe 
that we'll see a new manager employed before the end of the season, which is what you know, a lot of United fans are saying they hope for, because you're just not going to get one of them. Even if they get knocked out of the Champions League, you're not going to get a coach who then just kind of clears his desk at one club and makes his way to Manchester. It does not work like that. Contracts need to be worked on. Um, and, I, and I think that, that Ten Hag is now the not the overwhelming favourite, but he's certainly now the bookies' favourite. And I think more from what we're hearing, he's the person that Richard Arnold seems to be looking towards. Uh, a question for you, Rob, based on what you just said. So you, you you like you like Ranić, and you've willingly backed him to continue um, as manager into next season. And there's also another candidate, actually, Luis Enrique, who is at, in, is with Spain at the moment. And I, I did see it suggested in the week. I can't remember where it was from, but United consider the option of Ranić for the next six months of next season, and then Luis Enrique coming in after the World Cup. You know, just a floated option. But uh, a question for you, Rob. You've backed Ranić. You want him to stay. Talk is that Ranić is thinking about Ten Hag as his successor. Do you back that decision? And do you trust in Ranić getting this right? Because it does seem like United are putting a lot on Ranić's expertise here. And if he if he feels like Ten Hag is the right person to come in, do you kind of? see Ranić as the one being able to rid United of all the weeds and get things moving in the right direction again? I think the, the to kind of answer that question on a, on a wider expanse, <laughs> I think the good thing is that Ralph Ranić is getting a real first eye view of what's wrong at Manchester United. As the manager, he is seeing these players train. He knows who the bad eggs are. He knows the guys who to keep. And you can kind of see it with his team selections as well. They're not massively different from Oleg and Solskjaer's, are they? You know, in terms of, you know, who the the, the players are, the, the kind of given the responsibility roles. But what we're seeing is diff- much different tactics. So the kind of four-two-two into the four-three-three transition, very different to Oleg and Solskjaer's four-two-three-one, and a much more rigid style of football. So I think that if Ranić believes that he can trigger that change at Manchester United through another coach and working with another coach as a consultant role or whether he's closer to the board and does it that way. If he says that, yeah, Ten Hag is the guy that I've identified as being able to do this, then, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it because I think you need someone with accountability and acumen. You know, any business needs that. You need someone at the very top who knows what they're talking about and has a plan to go to the next level. So it doesn't matter what you are, whether it's football or anything, you've got to have that. And I think that Ranić, as a builder of football clubs and part of that Red Bull system, has done that multiple times with coaches and shown that he knows how to build. So that's why I like Ralph. It's not just in his pressures. I think where he talks, saying he's very, very honest. I think that he's a, a great coach. I really do. And I think that he would want a great coach to take over Manchester United if he left. So... There is that. So I would trust his opinion, say, more than I would trust Ed Woodward's. So Ed Woodward's had the choice of the last few years. And I'll be honest, I agreed with them. I agreed with Moyes at the time. Dare I say it? I agreed with Van Gaal. I agreed for Mourinho. I pushed for for those two managers specifically to get the job. I wrote a lot about it and said, this is who Man United need to go and get in the months ahead. And they did go and get them. But then when you kind of look at it with Solskjaer and you look at our transition into a new coach, you need a coach that's got tactics. You need someone that can go, you know, head to head with Guardiola and Klopp and be able to do their game. We know that uh, Ten Hag has that about him. You know, he has his own personality, his own philosophy. But 
Can he do that at Manchester United? That, it's a wait and see, isn't it? If he got the job, I would back him 100%. But for the first time since United have got rid of their managers, I don't really have an overwhelming favourite in my head. You know, so, I really did think Mourinho was the right manager at the, at the right time at that point. But you look across Europe, Scott, you know, you, 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 know, you could say that the right manager is Diego Simeone. Maybe he's the guy because he's built clubs in a, in a fashion that goes from the route upwards. But, you know, can Ten Hag do that? He's never done that before. Pochettino has done that at Southampton. He did it at Tottenham as well. But he's been out of that loop for a while now. You know, he's been at PSG in kind of, you know, Disney World with the money land of kind of just being able to spend your way out of problems. But, you know, I'd like to spend their way out of problems as well. It's just that you do need to build foundations now that are currently not in place. Uh, we'll wrap up soon, but one thing popped into my mind, a brief comment. Ralph Hasenhüttl has been touted as the potential next manager on television. Your take? I like him. I do like, you know, the two Ralphs in charge of Man United. Just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a journalist's dream. But um, I think as a coach, he's really, really good. But again, this is a political entity, Manchester United, and the fan base is rabid. Sorry to all our listeners out there who are Man United fans, but they are. And and there would be if Hassan who got the job, what would it be? Glazer puppet, you know, you know, trading down rather than trading up. You know, there'd be all of these things, and it would be so much weight for Hassan Hootel to carry. Um, I think he's good enough to be a top six coach. Is Hassan Hootel a championship winning coach? I'm not so sure. You know, I do think he's a really good you know, great tactical mind. His brand of football, he plays 4 as well, the Red Bull system. He likes playing that system. Um, I think it would work at Man United with the players that we've got and, and obviously buying new talent as well. <laughs> He's probably about 10th in the queue. Yeah, yeah and, you know, I think that's, that's being honest, but I do like him. You know, if he got the job again, I would say let's wait and see, but you'd have to back him in a way that maybe previous managers were not backed in year one. Um, I, I just think as well, United, it's the playing staff here now. We need to get the playing staff correct. Whoever the coach is has to be able to work with elite talent. Because I think maybe the truth is, Scott, is that a lot of these guys who claim to be elite are not actually that good. We'll see how it goes over the next few months, of course. Uh, I'll wrap up in a second, Rob. Is there United play Brighton tonight. Is there anything you would like to say ahead of that or ahead of our next show? Performances do not matter. Winning does. Go and win football matches. If you play badly and win 1-0, you can go away and fix it. But you can't do anything if you play badly and draw matches or lose matches. So this is where this Man United squad needs to sort that out because they need to go out there and be killers on the pitch. They need to find a way to win matches. They're getting the chances. They're doing the stuff that their coach wants them to do. They just need to be a little bit more smart. Yes, indeed. United play Brighton at Old Trafford on Tuesday night. You can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever. And you can watch us now on YouTube twice a week. Tuesdays and Fridays are the days. Um, and head over to our brand new YouTube channel, The Promised Land and Manchester United podcast. Hit the like button on our latest video, this one. The last one, the one before that, upcoming videos, subscribe, join the community, and uh, the link should be in the description of this episode. But uh, we'll be back on Friday to dissect the 1-1 draw um, between Manchester United and Brighton. I'm just going to put my <laughs> put in my uh, neck on the line there. We'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully a United win, but I can't see it at the moment. Uh, but hopefully the team prove us wrong. So thanks for listening, guys. We'll speak to you soon. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 